Here we go, just past 7 o'clock and another exciting Monday night on tap for you. It's time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira not in studio again, but he's got good reasons. He attended some events uh, this past week that I'm very jealous I was not able to attend. But you were, Ira, you're still in New York. Still in New York, went to the Yankees and Mets on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I'm telling you, I was kicking myself for not going to the All-Star game. I said, oh, it'd be great to be L.A. for that. But I'd rather go, you know, maybe I'll choose to go to the Yankees-Mets. And I have no regrets for going to those games. The playoff atmosphere, I, I've been to how many, over 50 World Series games. They felt like World Series games, really. The, the, they interviewed all the players afterwards. And every one of them saying, well, this is what the playoffs are. I can't wait for it. It was packed. The stands were full. The, the, it was all in City Field, the two games in City Field for the home uh, stadium for the match. But every time Scherzer and Judge, the fans were standing for every pitch. Uh, it, it was not July baseball. No, it wasn't. And you could feel that way just on TV. So being there must have been even better. Your seats were fantastic. We'll talk more about that coming up. And then Ira, you know, staying on baseball for just a moment. Crazy afternoon. I mean, everyone's been kind of waiting for Juan Soto to get moved. Hasn't happened yet, but if you or just have you know any uh, sports page up, it's going nuts with trades. We're going to get people caught up. Yeah, I'm keeping up. It, it happened while during our show. Who knows what's going to happen with uh, with the trades? Because again, the Yankees picked up a, a good pitcher today. Uh, it was uh, the the hater goes from the Brewers to the Padres. Uh, this is the trade deadlines tomorrow. So. Everything be happening in baseball. Very excited. This is usually a very exciting day in, in baseball in terms of the two days before the trade deadline. Unlike some other sports, but with the trade deadlines, there are trades in baseball. Yeah, and <clears throat> interesting you say that because Tommy Pham uh, of the Reds just got moved to the Boston Red Sox it, literally one moment ago. So funny how uh, quickly things happen as we lead up to this. With baseball still, great guest this week. He's Jeff Fletcher, and this is a very, very timely interview that you happen to do. Well, he is, he covers the LA Angels for the Orange County Register, so he's seen every single one of Shohei Otani's games, and I can't wait to have him on to talk about, because there is rumors that Otani and Soto, those are the two names that people are looking for, because the fact is, they're going to want to eat a lot of money, uh, they're on teams that aren't playing well, and maybe they'll go to a great team, and we're talking about each player that is looking at north of $50 million a year. I mean, each one of those, Soto and uh, 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 Otani, a half a billion dollars. For more than teams used to go for, but Flat Jeff wrote a great book on Otani about his background, where he came from in Japan, and and it's really interesting because I knew a lot about Otani, but reading that book gave me a much more insight about this just amazing, you know, the, the, not since Babe Ruth. Uh, in 1917 and 1918, it's over 100 years have we seen a player do what Otani's been doing. Yep, and we'll catch up with him uh, right about 7.30 here on Ira on Sports. Don't forget, you can follow Ira all across social media at Ira on Sports, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Find him there. The Instagram page has been uh, absolutely blowing up, so go ahead and join along on Ira's journeys at Ira on Sports. Let's start off with the NFL, Ira. Why not? The NFL does such a great job of always keeping itself relevant and this isn't probably the best story that they want, but I think that Cleveland Browns fans and Deshaun Watson in general will be pretty happy. It turns out he's only getting a six-game suspension. Some people thought it might be a year or more. Well, that, and one of those persons was me. <laughs> because I <laughs> could not believe when I saw the six-game come down. First of all, he was asking, 
his representatives were negotiating for an eight-game suspension. So he's negotiating for an eight-game suspension, and then you get a six. And everybody thought it was going to be 17, like the entire year they traded. That's why this year's contract, he's making $1 million a year on a five-year, $230 million deal. People said, why did Cleveland trade for him from the Houston Texans? And then he's going to not even play this whole year. They traded Baker Mayfield. But, boy, Cleveland is looking like brilliance because I was shocked. I mean, of course, 24 people, 24 uh, women have accused, had accused him of uh, sexual assault during massages. Uh, and it was, so it was 24 people, 23 of these cases have been civilly settled. No criminal charges were filed. There's one civil case still outstanding, but just the amount of people, I thought even during COVID, like even the COVID restrictions, I mean, this happened during COVID when people weren't even allowed to go out and do anything to break COVID. If they walk around, they were getting suspended walking around the uh, uh, facility without a mask. And he's bringing a massage service. If you look at the suspensions, to 2020, Antonio Brown, eight games, he beat up a mover. Uh, There were some sexual assault uh, cases in terms of one against him, but eight games, Kareem Hunt, uh, there was a video of, of hitting a woman, uh, eight-game suspension. Michael Hendricks got eight games for insider trading, which has nothing to do with football at all. Josh Brown, you from the Giants, for one domestic violence charge was dropped. These are, this was a drop charge, six games. Remember, Ezekiel Elliott, no charges fouled, nothing for a couple incidents, one, uh, a couple incidents, six-game suspension. So when you're looking, Adrian Peterson, one year for a misdemeanor, uh, okay, he was spanking his child with a, with a stick, and he got oh, just misdemeanor charges, no prison time, no nothing, and he was suspended for an entire year. Of course, Ray Rice was two years, and Ben Rotzenberger was six-game suspension for two sexual assaults, uh, no charges uh, filed at all, and it was reduced to four. So when you look at the totality of it, you're thinking, well, there's 24 claims, 24 accusations. Uh, this has got to be, and, and we just saw Calvin Ridley tw- just a few months ago suspended for a year for betting $1,500 on a game. One year, Calvin Ridley, it's costing him $11 million. Tom Brady in 2018, four games for inflating a football. I just think everyone thought, I think the, the consensus was the minimum would be a half a year, eight games. Uh, and I think everyone really thought if you said what it was going to be a whole, I'm shocked. 17 games, but that's what it is. Uh, it, this is under, um, it was not the NFL. The NFL asked for a year. Susan Robinson, who was a judge, it was independent. It was the first time he used this independent arbitrator, uh, came down with six. And now the question is, can the NFL appeal to itself, to other arbitrators as a way to do it? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that they're probably just going to let it at six games and go from there. Yeah, I I can't see them uh, you know, appealing or contesting this. I think they're going to go with it and kind of try to sweep this under the rug. You're right, though. Great gamble by Cleveland. This is going to work out for them. They're scheduled to start the season off kind of soft, too. I mean, it's very realistic that they could be 3-3 three and three or 4-2 and two when Deshaun is ready to rejoin them. I believe that'll be against uh, the Baltimore Ravens in a, in a uh, divisional game. But, it's you know, it's not too crazy to think that Cleveland can make the playoffs from here by any means. Clearly. I mean, those extra two games was crucial for them. Carolina, uh, they played the Jets, they played the Steelers, they're at Atlanta, Chargers, New England. Yeah, easily 4-2. and two. I think even even with Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback, uh, but it was I, I was shocked by this decision. And I but 
Look, my personal feeling on all these, I think it's very hard. I gave you those numbers of what the suspensions were. I think it's so hard to make this analysis. This is not a court of law. It's it's the NFL just feeling what it should be. It used to be that they never would do this. Unless you were charged with a crime, you convicted, go to jail, that type of thing. That's what when suspensions, the NFL put this personal conduct, the the Pac-Man Jones, when Pac-Man Jones kept getting in trouble after trouble after trouble, and they said it's a blemish on the shield, the NFL shield, we're going to suspend you. I don't care what the court of law says. Says they got into this business of suspending players, but if this is the this is what the standard is, I don't want to see. As I said, this is six games, and the next uh, this is why the Calvin Ridley one makes no sense. How do you put Calvin Ridley for seventeen games on a personal not personal conduct, but on betting with fifteen hundred dollars? It seems to me that that seems much less than 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 the than this thing for six games. But you want to see consistency. You don't want to see Watson get six the next time an incident comes. There's one incident they get eight or ten or whatever. There has to be. Otherwise, it's it's a mess. So it, it, that's just what I think was. If this is what the standard is, then that's what the standard going forward. But uh, I just I was shocked by the result. Ira on sports, true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So let's talk about some better news. Some big name players. Ira have gotten uh, the big contracts they were wanting. Well, Debo Samuel back to the 49ers. Clearly, you know, people are waiting for this to happen. I think Debo wanted a lot more money, saying, "Look, I run the ball and I'm a receiver, so like she could pay." Almost like Otani, I pitch. And I, I hit, and so he's more of a running back and a wide receiver. Anybody knows fantasy knows that's a whole problem in the fantasy universe because he runs the ball so much. Um, I think he was happy with the contract. He was able to sign a three-year extension. And I think we touched on last week the Kyler Murray signing with the Cardinals, five years, 230. Incident, the question came up this week was there was a clause in the contract that he has to study four extra hours a week and this, all these issues about whether that was fair to put that in the contract. Um, I think it was more like boilerplate that they are adding to it and probably just that. But the Cardinals realized that perception was poor. Uh, Kyler Murray, who signed the contract, then made a point, so they took it out. So that, I think it's almost a non-issue. I think the issue should be uh, they're paying him max, quote, in NFL uh, language, max money to be their quarterback. They've invested in him, and Kyler Murray has got to play better at the end of the year. He's had these great starts this season. But eight and zero, seven and zero, and then they start losing games. He starts getting injured. I think people are looking for him to have this more consistency as the year goes goes on, and also to have some sort of playoff run. I mean, they were out at the playoffs in the first game last year. Uh, in week seven, people thought they were a Super Bowl favorite. So. Yeah, uh, looked terrible in in the playoffs, but we'll touch more on this uh, as things go on. But yeah, really weird story there with Kyler Murray. And in sad news, Ira, and you know, I'm a little too young to uh, recall Bill Russell, but um, he passed away at 88 years old. And this is someone that, you know, people that saw him play would, you know, I know you have him on your Mount Rushmore. Uh, He did so much for the game and just such a a class act on the court, off the court. He's surely going to be missed by the NBA and sporting community. I never saw Russell play. I feel I watched the highlights. I wish I could have watched him play. I wish I could have watched him. He was the consummate winner. And not only he was a tremendous player, but in over 15 years, he played 15 years in college and pro. In those, the final 15, 15 years, he won 11 NBA titles, two collegiate titles, NCAA champions, and one Olympic gold medal. I mean, he was the first African-American coach in the NBA. He never averaged more than 90 points a game, but is the second leader rebounder in the history of the NBA. 12-time All-Star in his 13-year career. I mean, 13 years NBA career, 11 titles. It's just amazing to think that. Three-time NBA first team. It's weird how they did the awards, but it's three times first team, eight times second team, but he was a five-time NBA MVP. 
Um, in 165 playoff games, he averaged 25 rebounds a game. Uh, and, and he played 11 straight years of 74 uh, games. Uh, 74 games. I have Jordan, LeBron, and then I really, I think Russell Chamberlain, Kareem all have to be on that Mount Rushmore. They're all great centers. They all are a lead. I put those five, and then you might have under that Magic, West, uh, Jerry, Larry Bird, and then Shaq, Duncan, Robertson, Curry below. But I really think that if you, if any Mount Rushmore, any of the top five, it's Jordan, LeBron, Russell, Chamberlain, Kareem uh, would be the top five. Uh, he was born in, in, in uh, Louisiana, moved to Oakland, California was eight years old, uh, played basketball with Frank Robinson, who was a Hall of Famer in baseball. Uh, no college offers at all. San Francisco at the last minute offered him a scholarship, was a superstar there. And then he was drafted by Boston. Boston, one of the ways they got him was they, they, they said that the owner gave the ice cabades to the Rochester <laughs> so they could draft him. So they made a trade, wins the gold medal in Melbourne, and then in 67 plays. He won the title as a rookie, injured in 58. Then from 59 to 66, we talk about – Tom Brady being great. He won eight, eight out of eight, eight times in a row. <laughs> 67, he did win. And then 68 and 69, he won and then retired. Uh, his big, the person he competed with, compared with, was Wilt Chamberlain from 59, 60 till 69. Uh, they competed against each other, played 142 games. Uh, Wilt averaged 29 points, 29 boards. Russell averaged 14 points and 24 boards, but Russell won 84, had 84-58 against him. Uh, Russell, the key was that he won so many, and they played uh, seven series, and he was he was uh, he won six, seven, no, eight series against each other, and Russell was seven and one, including two times when Boston was down three-one and came back when he was at the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, where Chamberlain was the 76ers, and with the Lakers. And then his other competition was Jerry West, and we watched Winning Time. They met the Lakers six times in NBA Finals, and he was six and zero, beating Jerry West. And especially the '69 team when they had West, Elgin Baylor, and Wilt on the team, and they were up three one, and they came back and won that game. Uh, but just absolutely the greatest winner. His record in Game Sevens uh, was 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 just was tremendous, and uh, it was just it really. I just, I mean, it's, it's just, it, he retired in 69. It was, it shocked everyone because he was a coach for three years. He won the final two titles, sort of had this bitter feeling towards Boston. Didn't even go to the Jersey retirement 72, certified didn't even go to his Hall of Fame. But then this love affair between the city and Russell, uh, they re-retired his jersey in 99. Wilt, Bird, and Cream were there. Uh, and then he's, he's just beyond a legend. He is what the NBA, everything about the NBA, just the winning ass. I wish I could have seen him play. He was so athletic. I, everyone says about the players. He could have played today. He, was a, he would probably learn how to shoot the three-point shot, but he was such a great defender and great rebounder. And his movement, you watch the videos, I, I see no reason why he couldn't be a first-team all-star today playing because he was at 6'10 with his long arms. Uh, but uh, just, a, just a, a terrible loss for the game. But even after that, his commitment to social justice, Everything he worked with Muhammad Ali, Kareem, and he's such a mentor for even these players. The Bill Russell Award is given to the MVP of the NBA Finals. Uh, he was friends from Kobe Bryant down to every player. Said you know he's made phone calls, called players up, talked to them. Uh, just he is the NBA, and it's just a terrible loss. But what a career! What a and what a just. 
when you think about the NBA, just a great, great person. And you know what? It's reflected by the players of today and the players of yesterday, Ira. I don't know if you saw the outpouring on social media. I mean, everyone from, you know, Shaq, Charles Barkley, but you know, even Michael Jordan basically coming out and saying, my career would not have been my career without what Bill Russell had done for the NBA. So when you've got the players who are, you know, considered the best of all time, praising this gentleman and saying that, you know, he set the groundwork for whether it be African-American players or, you know, coaches. This is why the league is what it is today. It's all thanks to Bill Russell. And I just love, I wish I saw those games. I mean, he beat the Lakers in three times in game sevens he won against against Wilt. He, he again, four times in game sevens he beat them in the playoffs. Just his ability in these Big-time games. His record in elimination games was 16-2. and uh, uh, 16-2. and He was 10-0 and in Game 7. 10-0. and just, uh, just the clutchest performer of all clutch performers uh, and someone who played every game. It's just when we think about the importance of basketball today and the playoffs and everything, I would just love to see. I mean, who could or wouldn't want to see a person who is he's Tom Brady. I mean, when the, when the chips are on the line, when the games reported, Russell came and had the best game and led his team to victory. Amazing stuff, and like I said, the uh, NBA and, and just sporting and, and the world in general missing the passing of Bill Russell. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. About 10 minutes, we'll get to Jeff Fletcher talking everything you need to know about Showtime, Shohei Otani. But let's go to baseball, Ira. You attended two games um, you know, this past week, and as a baseball fan... I was really excited for these two, partly because it's the Subway Series. There's always a lot of animosity, and it's always intense. You were there for both of them. Let's go back to Tuesday when it was, uh, I think, T1 Walker versus Monty, Jordan Montgomery of the Yankees. Yeah, and that game, 43,000 fans, third of sell of the year. Um, it was only since 2000, only in 2015, have they both been in first place. So all the times they played, that, when they played the regular season, Daryl Strawberry comes out for his first pitch. Uh, the fans, it's a little late arriving, but by the middle of the first inning, I think everybody was there. Uh, uh, Carlos Stanton was out of the game for complete tendonitis. But first inning, you're sitting in your seats, I'm sitting behind the Yankee dugout, and Aaron Judge, home run, uh, and Rizzo, home run, Yankees up 2-0. You're like, wow, yeah. the Yankees have come <laughs> to play. And then what happens in the bottom of the first inning? You know, that's 38 home runs for Judge, 82 RBIs. Marte has a home run. Lindor doubles. Alonzo has a double. Escobar home run. Suddenly it's 4-2 Mets in the first inning. And people were like, what did we just see? I was just, I mean, I was thinking it was like 60, 40, 70, 30 Met fans over Yankee fans. But that was that was exciting, and then uh, the Mets extended their lead five two. Marte got a double in the uh, in the third inning. Donaldson terrible error on that play. He's a very good defender, but for at third base, just a bad a bad run. And they kept Walker. Walker settled down for the Mets. I mean, Montgomery was taken out, but Walker settled down. Uh, he pitched through the six, gave up three runs, a hundred pitches. Um, he's five and zero his last eight starts, and that's what's giving the Mets some comfort. They have Bassett and Walker as their third and fourth pitchers now that Scherzer and Degrom are, are coming back. Uh, but uh, the exciting part was in the eighth inning, uh, they bring Diaz, their closer, in, and they have the trumpets that come out, and they have Mr. Met and Mrs. Met play the trumpets. Mrs. Met wasn't even coming out because it, Diaz doesn't do four-out saves, but he came in against uh, Joey Gallo for the Yankees. It was probably the biggest mismatch he had all year, and people were going nuts. I guess they were just thinking Gallo could just get lucky and hit a, hit a home run, but Diaz <laughs> lights, lights out of the eighth, Lights out in the ninth. He got uh, Lemayu, Rizzo, and Torres all striking out. I mean, for a player like Diaz, my Met fans were like, "Oh, don't put Diaz in." I mean, he's been by far the best closer in baseball this year. But uh, big win, six three for the Mets. 
Yeah, if anyone wants to take a look at Edwin Diaz's stats for the last six, just his July stats or the last six weeks, it's about as good a stretch a reliever has ever had. So take a look at how good he's been. But you're right, I, I, I was texting you when this game started and my other buddies that I knew were watching it like, well, I guess we're going to be up till midnight because this game's going to take a while. It did speed up, though, a little bit, like you said, as uh, T1 Walker um, settled in a little bit after that first one. So I was excited for that one, but I really couldn't wait for the next game because we had Max Scherzer on the mound who – by all accounts, has the ability to pitch as good as anyone in baseball going against the best hitting team in baseball. I was really amped for this one. Yeah, I guess, and Herman was pitching for the Yankees, and this is what these two games showed what everybody talks about. I don't think that's alarmous to say when the Mets pitchers, like the, the Yankees seem to be a type of team where Herman, Montgomery, Cortez, like they're, they're okay. They're okay pitchers, and if you get involved in like the 8-6 games, but when you go against teams that, that really can maybe shut the Yankees down, if their pitchers are giving up runs early, it's going to hurt the Yankees. And we saw that in the playoffs even cold. Their number one is really like a number two, and everyone else is sort of down the line, and that's why they need to make that trade today. But Herman was terrible. Um, but uh, Judge, it, the whole thing was Scherzer and Judge. I mean, I, everyone's on their feet. First inning, Judge flies out. And then Alonzo, the star for the Mets, hits a home run, one nothing in bottom of the second. And then in the third inning, LeMayu gets on, Hicks gets on, first and second, two outs. Judge comes out. What does Scherzer do? Strike him out. <laughs> third inning, uh, Lindor drives in Nimmo. They go up 2 nothing. The sixth inning, what happens in the sixth inning? Judge strikes out to start the inning to Scherzer. And then the seventh inning, it's first and third, two outs. Scherzer's on, like, pitch 98. He's, like, out of gas. Just the plate on. They're down nothing. And what happens? Scherzer, he strikes him out again. Three straight strikeouts. Uh, uh, from Scherzer in, in, that, in just key key positions. And then the eighth inning, the Mets bring in Peterson. Uh, they're like, well, you can't bring Diaz in. Who would you bring in? That's the Mets problem. They don't have that reliever that comes in, that, that secondary leader before Diaz. And, and Rizzo walks Torres home run 2-2. And you're like, Yankees are going to win this game. But, boy, in that ninth inning, Judge was up, man, on first and second, two out. He grounds out to uh, one of the uh, Mets uh, pitcher, Lugo, who's got him out. And then in the ninth inning, uh, Marte came on, the, the, the Yankees bad defense, Marte comes on and hits a game-winning hit. And I have this video, if you guys go on uh, on my Instagram page, uh, it, you thought if I said the Mets have won the World Series, that <laughs> they ran out of that dugout, they were going nuts, the place was going nuts, but the players, you thought that they had just won the World Series. I, no team has ever celebrated oh, a game win in a regular season more than the Mets celebrated that Marte walk-off single. Yeah, that was a July win for the ages uh, for Mets fans. Speaking of, it is uh, 3-0 right now. Yankees on top of the Mariners. Aaron and uh, Anthony Rizzo hit a three-run bomb, and the Mets are trailing the Nationals 1-0. Max Scherzer, the aforementioned, on the hill today. Um, so... Let's Before we get to Jeff Fletcher here, let's talk a little bit about some of the moves that went down. We were all waiting to see Juan Soto moved as of 727 on, on Monday night. Still has not been, but one of the headlines is going to be Luis Castillo, and he's going to the Mariners, who once again are trying to prove that we really want to put a winner on the field. Well, it shows win-loss records Castillo from the Reds. He was 8-16 and 16 last year with a 398 ERA. But this year he's four and four with a 2.86 ERA. Considered the best um, pitcher out there. Uh, the Mariners traded four of their top five prospects for him. He's 29 years old. Will be free agent next year. But uh, the Mariners have played great. They had that huge run where they won like a dozen games. I think they felt like this was the need. I think the surprise was they got them, and, and the Yankees did it. Other teams that needed starting pitcher didn't get it. But now we know why the Yankees couldn't get Castillo because they made the trade today. 
Yeah, and this was one. I, I, I do agree that Castillo was the prize here, and the Yankees do need to bolster that starting rotation. But they got Frankie Montes from the from the Oakland A's. This is another solid move. He's probably going to end up being the number two uh, starter here in the playoffs. Also picked up Lou Trevino, who was fantastic last year as a closer for Oakland. He's had a little bit of a, a bad season this year. A lot of these out underlying stats would suggest that it's been more bad luck than bad pitching. But it looks like uh, Frankie Montes, Lou Trevino going from Oakland to the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, they made that trade because clearly Montgomery and Hermana, we saw, they just need better pitching. I mean, they traded right after the Mets game. We're walking, I'm walking to the parking lot. They got Benavita from the, uh, uh, the Royals. Yes. More of a left fielder, great defensive player, gets on base. Uh, look, I, you know, if you're a Yankee fan, you, you know you have the best record in baseball, but you still need to, to, to make improvements. So you like what Cashman's doing, bringing in Montas on. The question always is, Frankie Montas is pitching for Oakland in front of 2,000 people. There's a difference between that and pitching in that environment that was in City Field that night, and it's hard to replicate that. And how many pitchers have – I mean, we could just go on and on from the Kevin Browns and the Nagels to everybody who's failed. You know, been great pitchers outside of New York. They come to New York because in those, those games at Yankee Stadium in the playoffs, you're getting 45 – people are screaming and yelling, and the pressure's on there. So it's a, it's a tough area. We'll see if Montas can, can go from pitching in obscurity, really, to now pitching for the Yankees. And then a, another move that uh, happened just within the last about 20 minutes before he went on the air, Trey Mancini, big fan favorite in uh, Baltimore. He's going to be move, move, moving over the Houston A's. I mean, uh, Houston Astros. <laughs> yeah, the Houston Astros bringing another hitter. I'm surprised. I mean, the Orioles had such a good record, and they're only a few games out of the playoffs. You would think they are so cheap. I think Baltimore and Pittsburgh, they are like – they just don't want to win. They should be relegated. There should be relegation because they, they just – Mancini's such a great uh, person because he had cancer during the, during the COVID year, came back. He's had like 25, 30, 35 home runs, 21 home, home runs last year. I just I was surprised by this trade. You would think that the Orioles would try to win and try to get the, in the playoffs with that third wild card. It just it makes no sense. And then but Houston, look, Houston's always going for it. They they are they are always making these trades. They bring Garrett Cole in. They bring Verlander in. They are always looking granky. They are looking to always get better. And, that, and if you're an Astro fan, you know that cheating schedule. They might go a little over the top. But the fact is that the Astros try to do improve every year. And then Ira, this one kind of had me scratching my head too. You know, you talk about how Baltimore is fighting for a playoff spot in the toughest division in baseball. Uh, they'd be leading, you know, the NL Central or something like that. But the Brewers, in first place, trade maybe the best closer in baseball in Josh Hader to the Padres. They did get a massive haul back in this one. Not the Padres' top guys, but they got enough to, to justify it, I guess. But still a little bit weird when you see Josh Hader on the move. Well, the Brewers have Devin Williams, who can now be their, their closer. He was, he was one of the best relievers in baseball also. But it's shocking to see a, a team like who's leading, who was thinking about playing in the World Series, uh, and one of their strengths is their bullpen. It doesn't make any really sense. And it, boy, it's just amazing when you look at the Padres. They Now, Hayter is under $11 million this year, $16 million next year, but then he'll be a free agent. But the Padres are going for it, too. I mean, they're, they, they're signing free agents. You know, they, when they sign Machado, they, they're, you know, these teams like San Diego, again, is San Diego that much a smaller, more, bigger market than Baltimore? It's some teams just have owners that want to win, and other teams have owners that just don't care and just, like the Pirates and the Orioles that just 
don't care. And uh, But I, I love the trade. The Padres were the back end of their bullpen was a disaster. They blew so many games this year. And so this really fits in great. And they, have, they just signed Musgrove to a big contract, uh, five years, what, $100 million, $20 million a year. So the Padres are another team like the Astros. They're just committed to getting better. And they're in the same division as the Dodgers. So they have big competition. So as we sit here, Juan Soto still a Washington national. Ira, if you had to say where you thought he was going, who is the favorite, what would you say? I would say the Dodgers only because they're the only person team that could pay them because they're, they don't, they have bets is the only, they have no one signed to a long-term deal besides bets and they have, uh, they have unlimited amounts of money. They get 45,000 fans a game. They have the LA market. They can spend whatever they want uh, over. They don't, they, so I would think they're the team if they want Soto, but I don't think they do. And I think, as I said, I think the nationals are for sale. A team would want to keep Soto. He's under Carter for a couple more years and have the new owner make that decision. I, I, I don't, I keep hearing that Soto is going to be traded unless as someone blows them over with an offer. The Dodgers do have all the, have the great farm system that so they could do it. I just don't see it. I don't, I, I just don't see him being traded. I think Soto stays and doesn't get traded at the deadline. And Shohei Otani, who we'll talk to uh, Jeff Fletcher, who wrote the book on him in just one second, but it seemed like, you know, even 48 hours ago, there was a lot of buzz about Shohei Otani getting moved. Rumor has it the Yankees put together a package aggressively trying to get him, but it looks like he might be staying too. I don't think he's going to be traded either. I think Artie Marino was like, work day. it was a shock when he signed with the Angels in the first place. You have an owner that is willing to spend a limited amounts of money. I just, they have Trout already. I don't see him getting traded. I think if he leaves after next year, it'll be as a free agent. Uh, Soto has another two years left, uh, but Otani has one more. And I think that if he leaves, he leaves. I think that, that if you're the Angels, you're, you'll keep him and hope to convince him to stay there, not make that trade. Uh, but I just don't see these big... I, look, I, I'm the one who says Durant's not being traded either. I don't think Soto, Otani, or Durant will all be traded. Let's go to Jeff Fletcher here on Iron Sports. Okay, this is Iron Sports, where we're pleased to have uh, Jeff Fletcher. He's a writer for the Orange County Register, and he just came out with a book called The Inside Story of Shohei Otani, the greatest season ever played. Jeff, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. All right, thanks for having me. So, Jeff, what made... 2021. That's the season. What is it? The greatest season ever played. Why is that from Otani? Can you, and most, I think most people's eyes, it is the greatest season ever played. Well, as a two-way player, that pretty much eliminates uh, most every other season, you know, that nobody else has ever been a a two-way player at his level, except for Babe Ruth. And that, so you have to go back to 1918 and 1919 for him. And I think that you can make a case that what Otani did was better than what Babe Ruth did because uh, Ruth only really pitched for half of those seasons, and Otani went wire to wire as a pitcher and a hitter. And I think that just the competition is harder in the major leagues in 2021 than it was in 1918. You know, the, it's integrated, and there's much more technology the players use to break each other down. So to stay at that high level, uh, I think for what Otani did, I think was is harder than what Babe Ruth did. And you spent some time talking about Ruth in the book, which is interesting. Things that I didn't learn about what he did actually stay in shape, and which everyone has a characterization that he was out of shape, actually went in the middle of his career and, and became like this great workout warrior. But the idea is that he never wanted – he pitched. He came up the road as the pitcher. But when he went to the Yankees, he became clearly just a hitter. He didn't want to pitch, whereas Otani wants to pitch and hit. Ruth said, I'm done with pitching. I want to be a hitter. Yeah, that is a big difference that I think. The reason I put that in the book is just not a lot of people are aware of it. I think people just knew Babe Ruth was a two-way player, but they didn't really know the story or how long he was a two-way player or how it happened. But And what I would say is it was really he was a two-way player by accident because he was a pitcher who then realized he was a really good hitter 
And sort of in the transitional years, while he was going from being a pitcher to a hitter, he did a little of both. And but that was certainly not like his intention. Uh, and he, as soon as he realized he could hit, he didn't want to pitch anymore. So uh, very different than Otani. And you did mention the Black Leafs, um, Ted Radcliffe, Leon Day, Bula Joe Rogan. In those days, when they didn't have the teams, weren't had the complement of twenty some players that you had players that were that probably could have pitched in it, but actually did in, in, in those leagues. Uh, they did they did pitch and they hit in those leagues. Yeah, definitely. That that's another interesting thing that I enjoyed getting into in the book is, uh, you know, Bob Kendrick who runs the Negro Leagues uh, Hall of Fame Museum. He said that what Otani did really, you know, shined another spotlight on a lot of these Negro Leagues players that people never heard of because people started looking, well, who else had been a two-way player? And then, you know, you, you go to Babe Ruth, but then in between Ruth and Otani were all these guys who did it in the Negro Leagues. So it was nice to kind of shine a spotlight on some of them, too. And then you mentioned, you know, some other players like a Rick Ankill for the Cardinals started out as a pitcher, couldn't pitch anymore, came back five years later, then as a hitter, and then uh, and maybe Brendan McRae from Tampa. So you did bring up some other players that have tried this. Certainly nothing even some close to what Otani was doing. Yeah, the Rick Ankill thing is interesting because he is sort of, although he actually said he thinks that there will be more two-way players, his career is sort of the proof of why there won't be because uh, he wanted to be a pitcher and hitter coming up, but he was just much more advanced as a pitcher. So the Cardinals said, forget it. You're a pitcher. We want you to pitch. You're going to be in the big league soon as a pitcher. And, you know, maybe he needed some more development in the minor leagues, which they weren't going to wait for. So I think that's the problem that another, you know, guys every year, there's a few guys that come into the minor leagues and their teams say, we're going to try them as two-way players, but inevitably one side is advanced more than the other. So that's the one that, carries them to the big leagues. And you mentioned in the book that going back to say Atani, uh, he grew up in the northern part of Japan. Uh, I actually grew up in northern uh, in central Pennsylvania, so it's cold. And, and my trapped in, in New Jersey, so he sort of has something in, in where people maybe overlooked as growing up as a baseball player, even though his mom was an Olympic badminton player, his dad was a pro player. But people overlooked the fact because you're playing in a where there's snow on the ground most of the time of the year. How can you be a really good baseball player in that situation? Yeah, I think in Japan there's not as many uh, baseball players that come from uh, Iwate, which is up in the northern part, as uh, as other parts of Japan. So he's he's a real special uh, hometown guy to them, too. And then when he started out playing Japanese baseball, there was that decision. It's really confusing. Even someone like me who follows this, the whole posting rights. But there was a decision when he was younger whether he could have gone straight to the U.S., or he could have signed with the Japanese, Japan, the fighters of the Japanese league. We just had Bobby Valentine on our show, who brought, talked a little about Japanese baseball uh, a couple weeks ago. But if you sign with the fighters, you had to stay for nine years. I guess he had an agreement with them that he could have left. And also, they said that you could be a two-way player, whereas the other teams weren't saying that you could be two-way. Uh, yeah, so in, uh, in Japan, he basically, when he was in high school, he decided that he wanted to go straight to the United States and begin you know, playing in the minor leagues in the U.S. and work towards going to the major leagues, and he was just going to be a pitcher. But what the fighters convinced him of was that if you stay in Japan, we will let you be a two-way player and will also help develop you better to be eventually in the majors than if you went through the minor league system in the U.S. where they would only let you pitch. And he believed that, and he did it, and so that really helped him a lot because, like we just talked about, you know, in the in the minors in the U.S., if you're better at one than the other, they're just going to, abandoned the other one. Well, in Japan, he actually was better as a pitcher than a hitter, but they still let him 
develop as a hitter. And so when he was ready to come to the majors in the U.S., he was ready for both. And he took, I guess you said in the book, in 2016, he, he was thinking about coming. And then there was a change in the age. Like if he would have waited two more years, he could have signed without a posting fee, just signed whatever he wanted. But because he chose at age 23 to come over, ability to sign this huge contract that because he had to then go through a posting. Can you maybe explain what that is about the posting and how that rule really hurt him? You know, the fact that he was only making 2 and $3 million a year and not like $30, $20, 30000000 a year. Um, okay, so in uh, the way it used to work was anybody who was under uh, 23, if you were uh, in another, you know, if you were in the Dominican or Japan or wherever, they treated you as a, a free agent. And so when you came to the United States, you could be, you could sign for whatever. Then they moved that up to 25. So then the guys who were under 25 were essentially amateurs. So suddenly, even though Otani was 23 years old, had played the highest level in Japan for five years, he was treated the same as some 16-year-old kid in the Dominican Republic. And, you know, the teams all have their international signing uh, pools and they're very they're they're fixed. There's no flexibility at all, and they go, you know, at that point in the year, a lot of teams had already used up the money. So the, the most money that any team had was three and a half million dollars to sign Otani. So basically, every team in baseball could afford him, even though he had this like star major league talent, which made it a very interesting uh, scenario with the teams trying to recruit him, and then they're also added to the question of, you know, maybe he should just stay for two more years in Japan, wait till he's 25, and then he could be a free agent and get, you know, $200 million. I think the interesting part of that is, I think if a major league team would have been investing that much money, they probably would have insisted on him only pitching. And also he did have uh, his elbow, he had a slight uh, grade one sprain of his UCL, even back in Japan. So if he'd waited two more years, that might have blown, which it, it did blow in the United States. And uh, that could have affected, you know, his money, too. So it was a very uh, tough decision for him and ended up working out pretty well. <laughs> so he said, imagine that 27 of the 30 teams were bidding for his services. The Braves, he mentioned the Braves couldn't do it because they were penalized. They weren't allowed to. I don't know what the other two teams that wouldn't want to have Otani in the team. And, but there was an issue. Was he, was he going to be a DH? Could he only go to American League teams? And sort of, I mean, I think in the paper, people thought, well, the Yankees, they seem like a perfect match. But then it was, it was sort of wide open. And then he narrowed it down to seven. And then, of course, then going to the Angels. Um, I think the... You know, no, he never said he didn't want to play for an uh, East Coast team. But when he narrowed it down to his seven, there were no East Coast teams. <laughs> so it was just uh, all the West Coast teams except the A's and the Rangers and Cubs. And the the thing those teams had in common was they all trained in Arizona, which was a place he'd been familiar with because the, the fighters, his Japanese team, had gone to Arizona a couple times. And, uh, you know, other than that, it was really hard to figure out, like, why he picked those particular teams. But... I think the American League teams certainly had an advantage, too, because I don't think he really wanted to play the outfield when he wasn't pitching. I think he likes just DHing. Uh, so, you know, if a West Coast American League team, that doesn't leave you a lot of choices. And so it came down to probably the, the Angels and Mariners. And I think Billy Epler, the uh, Angels GM, now the Mets GM, really uh, kind of won him over in their meeting. <laughs> and that, I'm going to be, you know, certainly – 
that leads a lot of my friends that are big Mets fans. They're saying, well, he's a free agent in two years. You know, what's this relationship between Epler and Otani? And is it, could Epler finally say maybe you know, now do we have the DH in the National League? So now you can come and be a National League player and be a DH. Is that a possibility? Well, certainly if Otani does not resign with the Angels and he's going to look at other teams as a free agent, the Mets are probably going to be number one on the list of teams that people think he would go to. Uh, because of the Epler factor, because obviously they have lots of money, and obviously they're pretty good. So uh, all of that works in his favor. Uh, the only thing that might work against them is I still don't really think that he would enjoy being in that kind of a media circus, uh, you know, which I think is one of the things he enjoys in with the Angels is that, you know, he's got a pretty low-key life as far as the, uh, the media out here. Um, you know, the Mets are probably still not exactly the Yankees, and, and they could probably shield him to some extent, and uh, he might just be able to put up with it for $500 million. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned that there's like 80 credentialed Japanese reporters, though, that are following now, certainly in Orange County. It's you and it's, it's, it's you and, and other people, but the point is, is that uh, in terms of working with, working at, working in, in, uh, or in, but the Angels, uh, there's still that Japanese push with all those reporters there. And you went through in the book how the Angels hired Grace McNamee, who had worked with Hideki Nomo, and who understood how to work with the Japanese media. And those things. you even said, how oh, you get interviewed by the Japanese. They can interview him. They interview you to get your opinion on him. Yeah, there's still a lot of uh, Japanese media that follow him around. It's not 80. It was uh, like at the very beginning. Most of the time now, it's probably 40 to 50. But, uh, you know, still they – he's still pretty shielded from them. I mean, he only talks to them, to, to us, to all of us after he pitches, really, he almost never talks before a game, uh, you know, in a, just a regular game that he was the DH, unless he had two homers or something like that, he's probably not going to talk to us. So, you know, I don't know how well that would go over in New York. So we'll see, or should we may see, but, uh, he, he, he does have a, a pretty, uh, protected uh, life from the media out here with angels. And then in 2018, when he first came in, the book, your book really goes into detail how the, he was terrible in spring training, but then people were like, should be sent to the minors. They're like, we're not sending him the minors, keeping him here. That's what he's going to be. And then he started out playing great at the beginning of the year before his injury. But that was whole decide of, you know, how many days rest does he have? Because in Japan, you have different days of rest, more days of rest, how those going to handle it. And there's still, even to this day, I mean, I turned on Chris Magdog Russo and he's screaming, you know, Otani should just play one position. So, I mean, that was from 2018 till now. People are saying, you know, only play, only pitch or hit, don't do both. There's still a lot of debate about uh, what he should do, although you would think that the way he performed last year should have ended all that, and people realized that that worked out pretty well, what the Angels were doing. But there are still people that think that, you know, even John Smoltz talks about it on TV. You know, if he only pitched, he would be so great. He'd be Jacob deGrom or, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't think that's true personally. I think that he really enjoys doing both. And I think that he's better at both by doing both because uh, when he was only a hitter, when he was recovering from Tommy John surgery, he wasn't as good a hitter because he really just needed, he, he focused too much on hitting and he took too many swings in the cage and just kind of drove himself crazy. So I, I think it helps him to do both things. Yeah. I mean, he was rookie of the year in 2018, 23 home runs after he got injured and then to, in 2019, he only hit, but really had a bad year and then had knee surgery. 
Uh, and then he's been through with different managers. You had Sosha uh, and Asmus, and then you had Bill Madden, and, and it's, uh, you know now he's Nevin. I mean, he's gone that through so many different managers. But I guess you in your book says it goes through in 2021 before the season. He's like, I'm going to have to figure out a way to stay healthy. I'm going to figure out a way to improve. And he went to this driveline baseball that really improved his game and made him this great player for the great season 2021. Um, you know, driveline uses a lot of high tech stuff to to not only analyze your delivery and your swing, but your your fitness levels. And uh, one of the really important things that he did up there was he got these measurements on his you know fatigue levels and his energy levels, so he could know, for example, like after he's thrown thirty pitches in a bullpen, how much does that affect his energy when he goes to hit? You know, and after he's pitched a game, how much does it affect him going to hit and, and vice versa and all that kind of stuff that they didn't really know about as much before. So they're kind of guessing like, oh, after he pitches, he needs the day off and so on and so forth. And and I think that once he got that kind of empirical data from driveline, that really kind of helped for the Angels to say, you know, in 2021, all right, now we, we really know when he needs a day off and when he doesn't. So let's just let him play. And I think that was really what kind of unlocked his success. And then you mentioned how Joe Madden came in and said, "There's they're taking the training wheels off. Where you're going to play, you're going to the days that you pitch, uh, where you're still going to hit. The day after you pitch, you still are going to hit. The day before you pitch, you're still going to hit. I mean, he played 152 out of 162 games, 639 at bats, with very few days off for anything. Um, and I think that sort of that you know created this idea that no, we're not babying him. We're actually going to play him all the time. And he's a hitter. And you had mentioned in the book how in some of the games he was taken out." as a hitter, as a pitcher, and he still stayed in and kept hitting. Uh, well, last year, before they changed the rules, they had to put him into right field to, to do that. So he would it was kind of the opposite of a double switch. They would take him from the mound and put him into right field, and he'd play an inning there and then uh, until he got one more at bat. Uh, so that's not ideal. They didn't really like doing that because, you know, it messes up their batting order and it runs the risk of him getting hurt out there. So. They were very appreciative when uh, Major League Baseball changed the rules this year so you could stay as the DH for the whole game even when you were done pitching. Wow. wow. That, was, that, that was a big thing. And then what? And this year has not been the year that 2021 was. It's been sort of a struggle, but it's also a, it's a continuation that the Angels, with expectations every year with Trout, Rendon, and and Otani, everyone's like it's like next year, next year, next year, and it's just another frustrating year. You're covering the team. I just saw you had a, a tweet out that you know sixteen thousand in attendance, that type of thing. It's just been that frust. I think his year has been good, but not great like last year. But still, it's it's frustrating for the team success. Well, there's no question the team has been terrible, uh, pretty much. Uh, they started out twenty-seven and seventeen. Everybody got excited about it, and since then they've been horrendous. I think like uh 13 and 40 or something like that it's been really bad uh you know their their farm system has just not been good for a long time and so they just don't have enough good young players coming up around otani trout and and rendon who's been hurt a lot so that's why they just don't have the depth to win so as for otani season you know it's been uh, he's been probably worse as a hitter but he's been probably better as a pitcher this year so uh it's still not it's not as good as last year but it is still very good it's Second greatest baseball season ever played for sure. <laughs> We're talking to Jeff Fletcher, who wrote Showtime, the inside story. Shohei Otani, he works for the Orange County Register and covers Otani, probably the best expert at it. He's been covering him since he came into the league every single game. 
So what, what he has now this year, he's under contract. Next year, um, and I guess they still have him under uh, contract in 2023 in terms of an arbitration. And then he's a free agent. And, and I think that's the question I told people I'm interviewing you. And, and every person I've mentioned that to says, what's he going to do? What's going to happen? Are the Angels going to trade him? And I guess what's your sense? I mean, it seems like it changes every day. But what's your sense in terms of the Angels? I mean, they've locked up Trout, but what are they going to do with Otani? Well, they're not going to trade him. I can tell you that much. Uh, they're they're certainly not going to trade him, you know, before the trading deadline right now. And I think the only way they would trade him in the off season is if they get back a package that makes them better in twenty three. Not necessarily like building for the future, a bunch of prospects that are going to be better in twenty five. So I don't know that another team would do that. So I think that's probably not going to happen either. I think they're just going to keep Otani through twenty three. They're going to try to sign him to a long-term deal between now and the end of the 23 season. And they're going to try to win as much as they can in the 23 season. And at the end of all that, they'll just see what happens. I think they would rather uh, just keep him and try to win with him. And even at the risk of losing him for nothing, than trading him away and making a bad trade and not getting guys that help you. And then you also don't have like this historic player on your team. I mean, very similar to the Soto situation with Washington, because like you're going to make this trade, and what can you get unless you're really going to rebuild? I mean, they might just want, but I think that that's a that's a good analysis of it. Um, I think it's a big. It's very different than the Soto situation, by the way, because the Nationals don't have any other superstars, so they can just be bad for a few years, which, which they've done, and it's not a big deal. The Angels still have Mike Trout sitting there. So you can't just trade away Otani and tell Mike Trout, hey, we're going to be bad for the next two years. Just hang with us because Mike Trout is not getting any younger. So uh, if they're going to trade Otani, they probably also have to trade Mike Trout. And he's not that easy to trade because he makes a lot of money and he's getting older and, and all these other things. So I think it's a different situation than the Nationals. Do you think Otani, is he looking at that, a 10-year, $500 million contract? He'll be, what, 29 when he's up? Is that, is that sort of what he's looking for in a contract? And is that somewhere where it's, it could be? Or is, is someone willing, you know, so with his injury history, that's a huge risk for him. Yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say because nobody knows how long he can be a two-way player. I don't think he's going to be a two-way player for 10 years. Uh, is it going to be two more years, five more years, seven more years? I mean, nobody knows. So that makes figuring out what his contract is going to be really hard. And besides that, just figuring out what he should make on an annual basis is really hard because he's two players, essentially. But if you pay him as two full players, then that sort of eliminates the whole value of him. The whole whole bonus to having him on your team is that you get two for one. But if you're (laughs) just going to have to pay him two guys' salary, then, you know, it's not as big a deal, you know? A lot of teams have a hitter like Otani and a pitcher like Otani. But what's special about Otani is the Angels have them both in one guy. And you said earlier in the interview, he seems to like Orange County. He likes the Angels. He likes California. He's comfortable there. That that has to be some factor in terms of what he's where he's thinking, and it's closer to Japan, I guess. So that would be some, could that be a factor in his decision? I mean, when he picked the Angels in the first place, they had not won anything, and he still picked them. And they didn't have the most money to offer him, even in the small differences that there were among teams in their international bonus pool, the angels were not one of the bigger ones. So he, he picked them because he was comfortable there. He liked the area, he liked the people. So that kind of stuff matters to him. I don't, you know, obviously he wants to win. Everybody wants to win, but I don't know 
you know, he doesn't really say like, what's his most important thing is his most important thing to getting the most money or winning the world series or being left alone by the media or being closer to Japan or whatever. We don't know. So we'll, we'll find out, I guess, in about 15 <laughs> but months. You mentioned, you mentioned he gets along. He's a good teammate. I mean, you say you, you went through the book. It's like his English is not, doesn't, I mean, we don't know what, how his English, he doesn't really talk in it, but he, but he gets, seems to get along with the other players. They joke around with him. They kid around with him. He seems to be a team player. Everybody likes him. Sort of a team player playing two positions, but he seems to be a popular player that people like. Oh, for sure. Everybody loves him. He's, uh, he's not aloof in any way, even though he is in a class by himself. He doesn't act that way around his teammates. He's, uh, he's a very good teammate. Everybody has no problem with him. And you mentioned, I think, back when he was in Japan, he had to, like the manager said, that the pitchers had to like do the cleaning of all of the restrooms or something because they didn't want to feel special, like they're off days while the other players are playing. So he probably learned it from those days. Yeah, that was in high school. His high school coach had the, it was like a boarding school and the, the uh, players all lived in a dorm and they had jobs to do when they weren't playing baseball. And uh, the pitcher's job was cleaning the bathrooms. <laughs> Some of the AAU, AAU basketball players don't do that. <laughs> but Jeff, it's just an honor to have you on our show. I, I, I read it whenever there's a story about Otani, it's like you're the first story that comes up, and I encourage people to go out and get the book Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani. It's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the bookstores. Uh, it just came out this week. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking about their book and about Shohei Otani. And going to be excited what's going to happen the rest of the year, next year, and where he's going to be playing for the rest of his career. Yeah, it will be. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Fun stuff there with uh, Jeff Fletcher here on Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. A couple of minutes left to go here, Ira, and Tony Finau. Uh, first 188 performances, uh, one win. Last two, two wins. So Tony Finau is starting to hit a little bit of a stride here on the BGA Tour. Total on a roll. He was a 3M in Minneapolis. He won that last week, and this week he wins the Rocket Mortgage in Detroit. Uh, Patrick Cantlay was second, Cam Young third. Uh, Wills Alatoris finished 20th. Uh, not a great field uh, for the Rocket Mortgage, just like the Wyndham field today. Uh, coming up next week, Zalatoris, Lowry, Simpson. Uh, but uh, it, uh, it, it, Tony Finau is ranked 11th, uh, 13th in the world. It's someone who is always in the majors in contention and doesn't seem to win the other tournaments and hasn't really won a major, but he's always someone who's viewed as this bad, you know, wait till Tony Fino gets hot. And I, I think he must be happy that all these live golfers have left the tour because it clears the way for him to enter these other tournaments and he made $1.5 million. So big win for Tony Fino, back-to-back wins. It's, it's uh, I, when you see that on the tour, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, speaking of Liv, we had our latest uh, latest person to pull out of the PGA Tour, move over to Liv. Pretty big name, Ira. Bubba Watson is heading over. Yeah, it's 12. Bubba has 12 PGA Tour wins, two-time master champion, uh, 2012 and 14, which makes it now the last 18 years of Masters, nine champions. Phil has three, Schwartzel one, Bubba two, Sergio one, Reed and, uh, and DJ with each one. So uh, the Masters champions, it's going to be hard for the Masters to say no live golfers. It seems like all their past champions, sort of Tiger, have, uh, have, uh, have, have been on now on the live tour. But, uh, but no, that was, that was the big name. It seems like it's like every week there's another one. I think there probably won't be that much movement over the next couple of weeks. Wait till after the Tour Championships. They have the Wyndham Championships, then they have the two uh, playoff events, and then the Tour Championships in Atlanta at the end of August. And then I expect you to see more movement to live. 
So, Ira, Saturday night, glued to my TV. I was ready for this one. A couple of good fights leading up to the uh, to the to the main event, Nunez versus Pena. But man, did the ladies live up to the hype? What a fight! Well, yeah, it was uh, Amanda Nunez won the title 2016 over Misha Tate. Uh, dominated everyone from uh, from Ronda Rousey uh, in dominating fashion for what seven eight defenses uh, was an eight to one favorite to beat Pena. Pena upsets Nunez uh, in December. Uh, comes back and people are like, "Well, Nunez had a child. Maybe she's not focused, not ready." Uh, it, look, Pena is a great fighter. Pena stayed in there and had tried to get submission holds on Nunez. But Nunes, one on some fighters' scorecards, the one scores one was fifty to forty-three. It's like five rounds to none, but extra bonus points. And then one's fifty to forty-four, fifty forty-five. Could not pin, uh, not pin, but could not submit Pena, uh, or they stopped the fight. But still, a dominating, dominating performance. And Pena was, they said, lost so much blood during the fight, uh, which is, but it was just Amanda Nunes reasserted herself as by far the greatest women's fighter ever there's no comparison and to avenge that defeat that she had but she was upset very impressive a lot of blood doesn't really do it justice i read look like a, a, a splatterhouse movie or something like that these are some tough tough chicks so the ufc in good hands out with their ladies and let's uh, wrap it up a little racing well the formula one was in hungary matthew verstappen has won now won the hungary he won now won nine out of 13 races he started in 10th position said I really don't think I have a chance to win. I qualified poorly. But again, the story is again and again, Ferrari making mistakes. They had Sites at the uh, second, Leclerc was third uh, going into it. One of their two drivers everyone thought was going to, to win this, George Russell from Mercedes was first. But they continually made mistakes on pitting, on where, what tires. The, the big mistake was that Leclerc took hard tires on. Nobody was running hard tires. One other team had it on, and they were terrible. Leclerc had the lead. Couldn't even drive with the hard tires on. Uh, and Hamilton's move, Verstappen, that allowed Verstappen to take the lead. And Hamilton went on soft tires at the 52nd lap out of 70 and started moving up there. And there was a period of time where you thought maybe Hamilton and Verstappen had a chance to have this uh, great uh, finish. Uh, Hamilton ended up being like 10 seconds behind it. But the fact is, is uh, Russell finished third, Hamilton second, and Verstappen won. Uh, but Ferrari who really this year has had probably the best car, and, and even Red Bull says that, uh, the Red Bull team, but just has not pl- done well in mistakes. Uh, there's going to be definitely changes on the Ferrari team in terms of their decision-making. The drivers are upset. Uh, but uh, Verstappen is running away with this, and, it's, it, it, with, and it looks like Red Bull will definitely win the Constructors' Championship also. In NASCAR, uh, Tyler Reddick won the road course in Indianapolis. He started first, led it 38 laps. Uh, and ended up being uh, the second win of the year. There's, remember, 14 drivers make the playoffs. There's two positions now available if you win uh, with, uh, with uh, about four races to go. So we'll see what happens. But guys like Martin Truex and Ryan Blaney, Kevin Harvick, big-name drivers who are not in that playoffs yet, they really need to get a win in one of these last uh, races. So, Ira, most people would say, oh, it's, it's August now. There's really no sports going on. Not the case for Ira. And you've got a little bit of a decision to make this week on what you plan to do. There's a lot of baseball I could go to. I'm probably going to be in the West Coast. I, the Padres play the Dodgers. Uh, the City Open is in D.C. I have to go to D.C. Might see. I love that tennis tournament in D.C. Kyrgyz plays in that. Might catch DeGrom uh, tomorrow night if I'm in D.C. 
so there's a lot of options. Uh, I, look, it's August, but there's still sports. There's golf. There's everything. We, we didn't even mention that in the live that Benson, who was the Ryder Cup captain and went to live, ended up winning the Bedminster tournament in New Jersey uh, in, in, a, in a fashion. So, but uh, there's just a lot going on. I mean, I, I just love it. And then we get ready and watch a training camp in, in the NFL, and, and something's happening with baseball. There's never an offseason in sports. It is never an off-season for Ira, and you can follow along with his escapades at Ira on Sports across social media. Thanks so much to Jeff Fletcher for coming by. He's Ira on Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Ira on Sports.